Welcome to the Ponder a New Podcast. My name is Pastor Rob Myalis, and in this podcast, we ponder new the ancient stories of Scripture and what they might mean for us in our time and in our place. And this season, we've been looking at the book of Acts, and this week, we're going to contemplate and consider freedom. What is our freedom as Christians? What is religious freedom all about? It seems to be a, a topic that is explosive, and it turned out it was explosive in the book of Acts as well. So without further ado, we'll get going here, reflecting on the joy and realities of community. This last week, I got my first request for a religious exemption from the COVID-19 vaccine. A woman's employer has mandated that she be vaccinated or be terminated and wanted me to write a letter or do something to secure her a religious exemption. Before I tell you about how I responded to that, though, I want us to take a look at Acts chapter 3 and 4 and reflect on what freedom, religious freedom, uh, what it all means in the, the New Testament, in the book of Acts, and elsewhere. And I want to start us out with uh, a vignette, a scene here, a story from Acts chapter 3. And what happens is, is that Peter and John uh, meet this man who is a beggar. And I'll pick it up in chapter 3. So one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. And a man lame from birth was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called the Beautiful Gate so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. Peter looked intently at him as did John and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Acts chapter 3. This is a beautiful example of freedom. The man is bound to his carrier. He's bound to one place all day. This illness that he has, this, uh, this state of being lame, he, he can't do very much. He's not free. But then the word of God comes. It comes through Peter and John and their declaration to him. It comes in the gesture of, of their hands being extended to him. And then we see this initial movement of freedom. It's a freedom from, it's a freedom from his illness, his disability. It's a freedom from what he's not able on his own power to do, that is to walk. And so suddenly he is freed. Yes, but see, freedom isn't just about being freed from, it's also about being freed for. And he's freed for worship. If you notice, the very next thing he does is he goes and he worships the living Lord. You see, there are really two movements of freedom in the Bible. There's a freedom from and a freedom for. 
And typically in the West and in America, we, we focus in on the first type, uh, the first movement of freedom, a freedom from something, that we no longer have the obligation to do something, that nobody can tell us what to do, but we so often miss out on the freedom for, in this case, the freedom for serving, praising the living God in the temple. In the Bible, it's not just this story, though. It's not even just the book of Acts. The whole of Scripture bears witness to this notion of freedom as both a freedom from and a freedom for. And our our notion of freedom as independence is, is truncated. So when I think about my life, I could say, well, when were you the most free? And I'd probably say, well, my senior year of college, when I was wrapping up my studies, I actually didn't have to take a full load. The company that I was going to work for had given me a moving sort of sign-on bonus. And so I was, I had like no accountables, right? No mortgage, no nothing, you know, and it's sort of, I could do what I wanted to. But again, that's not really the biblical notion of freedom. The biblical notion of freedom is not that we can do whatever we want to. The biblical notion of freedom is that we can do what God wants us to do in our lives. Again, the I think the the, the Western and I think especially American sense of freedom is independence, freedom from, ability to do what I want to do. The biblical understanding of freedom is more complex. It's a freedom from things. But it's also a freedom for, a freedom for life in, in God, life in Christ. So in the Old Testament, I'll give a couple examples of this. In the book of Exodus, Moses is going to lead the people across the Red Sea, right, out of slavery and so forth. And so there's this famous line, sort of the classic tough guy, all-American Charleston Heston plays in the Ten Commandments, let my people go. But the very next line in Scripture is that, that they may serve the Lord. And that word serve there is radically uncomfortable for us. It actually means to be slave to. What's at stake isn't that the ancient Israelites can be autonomous people. It's whether they're going to serve Pharaoh or they're going to serve the Lord. Again, we're freed from and freed for. They're going to be freed from Pharaoh, but it's not freedom to do their own thing. It's freedom to serve the Lord. In the book of Judges, um, it's this really tough Old Testament book. And the whole book is sort of a tragedy in that it just gets worse and worse. And finally at the end, um, there's a woman who, and this is again really uncomfortable, is, is gang raped. And when her concubine-ish husband comes back, he cuts her body up in 12 pieces and sends them to the tribal leaders of Israel and says, your inability to control the people has led to this. Her blood is on you. And this this ends up leading to a civil war in which uh, many people, including children, die. Terrible. And the last line of the book of Judges is, there was no king in Israel. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And that everybody doing what is right in their own eyes is not the pinnacle of human virtue. This is the the nadir. This is the low point of the Old Testament. When the people no longer worship the Lord, they don't have respect for anybody, and they just do whatever they please. I can extend this argument into the Old Testament looking at Romans 1 and what Paul even argues about with the wrath of God being unveiled. And that Paul's basic argument is that uh, God's wrath means that we can... We're then freed 
to do our own sinful desires. Or even Jesus, when Jesus says, the truth shall set you free, the very, the very same breath he says, if you obey my word, you are my disciples. Again, there is no notion in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, that freedom is simply that we get to do what we want. Freedom is freedom from something, death, sin, oppression, injustice, lies, false narratives, shame, guilt, and freedom for serving the Lord, freedom for helping our neighbor. So, when in your life have you experienced a freedom from, say, a bad or toxic relationship, that then you were freed for a new love or a new relationship? When were you freed from an addiction that then suddenly you were freed for being the dad or, or daughter or, or husband or wife that, that you sensed that you were called to be? When were you freed from bad religion, um, bad sort of misinformation about the gospel, and you were freed to really worship Jesus Christ in, in joy? I mean, again, hopefully you can think of an example where you're freed from and freed for. Well, the story uh, goes on, and I think I really now, can you want to drive home this, this, this sense of what freedom in the New Testament is? And the next vignette is often been um, used or sort of it can be used as an inspiration for this notion of freedom from government oppression. Okay. And, and what happens is that Peter and, and John are actually arrested. And uh, when they're arrested, they then speak uh, boldly about who Jesus is to the, to the leaders, um, the Jewish leaders, who in fact who have been involved in the plot that killed Jesus, which already is showing something of, of their freedom. But, but then there's this great passage at the end. They're uh, forbidden by the leaders to speak about uh, Jesus. And what Peter and John say to them is, whether it is right in God's sight to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot keep from speaking about what we have seen and heard. This is uh, verse 20 of Acts chapter 4. Well, whether it's right to listen to you or to listen to God, we all know the right answer. Of course, it's God. And, and in some ways, this is this powerful notion here of, of the freedom of a Christian is the freedom to sort of throw off unjust and unrighteous laws, uh, to have our, our sort of our religious conscience protected and to stand up. I'd like to suggest, though, that Peter and, and John have no legal standing at this point. There is no religious protection enshrined in any uh, document for them. When they're saying uh, that they're going to obey God rather than these leaders, what they're effectively saying is, you can imprison us, you can kill us, but we will keep obeying Jesus. You see, they've seen the power of the resurrected Lord, 
in their own hands now as they heal this man. They've seen the risen Lord, right? They saw Jesus defeat death, overcome even the cross. And so there's no fear that they have anymore of what these leaders can do to them. They can kill, they can torture, but they know that they're going to live, that their eternal life is secured. And so sort of this this freedom from the fear of death has freed them for speaking the truth about Jesus. It's freed them for bold proclamation, even to people who have power to hurt and kill them. Again, I'd like to suggest this isn't right now about a framework of legal rights, but this is about the deepest freedom a freedom where we so trust the power of the resurrection that we are no longer afraid of death, but are freed to do whatever God has called us to do, even at a risk of our own life. I'd like to look at two historical figures who showed a willingness to confront authorities when they felt that the authorities were not doing what God intended. And I'd like to show even how both of their examples really undergird this idea of a freedom from and freedom for. The first is Martin Luther in the 1500s stands up to the, at that point, the the church and sort of, there's all these images of sort of heroic Luther defying the powers that be, here I stand, I can do no other. But in 1520, Luther writes, uh, right around that time, he writes uh, a treatise called The Freedom of a Christian. And he, he writes that a Christian is perfectly Lord, subject to none. And then he writes, a Christian is perfect servant, subject to all. And his point is that in Christ, we're, we're freed from having to, to worry about anybody else. We are beloved in God, and we're going to live forever. And so we don't have to obey false laws, false teachings, to Christ alone belongs our allegiance, and he, he lives this out. Yet at the same time, he says we're perfectly servant to all, that our, our freedom in Christ actually is the freedom to be the servant that Christ intends us to be. So again, even, even Luther, this sort of heroic standing against the institution person, in his core writings is talking about how we have this freedom for our neighbor, freedom for doing what God has called us to do in this world. Okay, go to uh, his namesake, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. in America says, you know, clearly that there are laws that require people to have civil disobedience, to say this isn't right. In good religious conscience, we cannot obey these laws. They must be changed, but even in the meantime, we cannot obey them. And they're willing to suffer great persecution for this. Right? Uh, they are freed from a concern for their own physical safety and, and freed for this service to others. But what's really telling is that in, in King's sort of I have a dream speech, uh, that, that dream is, is not really some um, treatise on individual autonomy, but somehow on people finding a way to live together in, in, in the beloved community. Right. In fact, at the end of King's life, he's he's writing a book towards chaos or community, and again, so so even in the twentieth century's most um, iconic, in some ways, iconoclast, the one who stands against sort of unjust laws out of religious conscience in Christ, still in the end has a vision that is not about individual autonomy, but is about life together, the life that Christ has freed us for. 
And so to bring this all together then, if we move to the end of Acts chapter 4, after the disciples uh, or the apostles have have spoken, they, um, they're set free and they go back to the community and they pray and the Holy Spirit comes and they rejoice in God. And then there's this, there's a number of verses that uh, they all say the same thing. They sold everything they had. No one had anything in need and they shared everything they had in common. <laughs> wow. They are freed from their fear of religious authorities, but they are also freed for, for life together. My sense is that the, the ability of, of Christian witness in the 21st century will, will in many ways be dependent on us to articulate a vision of human freedom that finally has a, a basis not in autonomy, but in community and in relationship, relationship with God and relationship with each other, that this is, in spite of the fact that it first seems bound, is really the, the freedom, uh, the freedom to be who God has made us to be, the freedom to live in concert with God's purposes for humanity and for us then as individuals. So, um, again, we can explore more of this, but I, I just find it so powerful that at the end of this great um, sort, of, sort of stick it to the man, fight against the authority, rebel passage, we find life in community, uh, which again is what this freedom is driving us toward, to, to live as Christ has um, called us to, as, as servants and neighbors to one another. So, how did I respond to this request for religious exemption from the vaccine? Well, much of my response was pastoral, uh, trying to really um, hopefully connect with and, and resonate with what this person was feeling, um, as, as well as just some practical in terms of the situation that this person is in and what I know of the rules of the employer and, and basically that uh, I don't think that a letter from the pastor is going to be what suffices and just some other sort of counsel about the situation that I think even if this person chooses not to work here because of a vaccine, I think they're going to face other employment challenges and so forth. But at the core, I did say that I, I wouldn't feel comfortable granting a religious exemption. And I definitely understand the discomfort that people would have, just the visceral reaction to the thought of somebody, a government official, a nameless officials, nameless experts saying, this is what you have to do to your body. I, I definitely understand the, the discomfort. Um, and I even can go so far as to understand how there is a, a religious sense of wanting uh, not the state to sort of dictate to us what we do with, with our bodies. I think there can even, again, be a religious impulse there. In this case, though, I think that the, the vaccine is, is so important in terms of the safety of other people because, unfortunately, it's not just about me getting sick but about me shedding it and getting other people sick um, and, and the way in which you know, so many facets of life have just not been able to go back to the way they were. I know elderly in my church, some of them just, they just physically feel they cannot go to church right now until vaccine levels are higher in our area. So, so for me, I don't think I could, I could justify ultimately, if I think about both freedom from and freedom for, uh, how a, an exemption would be in line with um, the sense of being freed from. 
uh, sorry, being freed for really life, uh, living a life for, for others. Now, you may uh, passionately disagree with how I've come down on that, um, but I'm hoping in this less to convince you of that particular thing or about masks or anything else, the particular issues, and more just to say that when we talk about freedom and uh, religious freedom, that the, the book of Acts and really the whole of Scripture is, is far more, um, maybe nuance is even, isn't even making it too complicated. It, it just portrays that, that freedom is, is about, yes, an independence from that which blocks us from doing God's will in our lives. And it's really then about an interdependence on God and on others of God's people and ultimately creation. Um, that it's again this freedom from and a freedom for, and that I'm I'm hoping that our reflection today can can help us think more broadly about freedom, especially the freedom for others um, that that Christ gives us through through His death and resurrection. So with that, um, having us all stirred and hopefully something to ponder, let us pray. Holy God, we lift before you so many who are in leadership right now who are having to make difficult decisions about protocols, trying to balance individual freedom with public good. Help us as Christians to be freed, freed from so much sin, the fear of death, the fear of being lonely, guilt, shame, addiction, oppression, and help us to be freed for the life you have designed for us, a life in relationship with you and in community with others and indeed all of creation. I pray specifically this week for people having to make difficult decisions about how they're going to move ahead in their individual situations. Grant them wisdom and grant us all your peace and the freedom that comes from you. Amen.